Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guest today is Sophie Gallagher. Sophie is an award-winning journalist, author, and deputy features editor at iNewspaper. Previously a freelance features writer for the BBC, Financial Times, Stylist, and many more as well as also being the previous Deputy Lifestyle Editor at The Independent. Throughout her career, Sophie has written extensively on the subject of violence against women and has been a crucial part of the campaign to criminalise cyber flashing. In July this year, she released her first book, How Men Can Help, a much-needed, long-awaited exploration of the role men can and should play in tackling violence against women and girls. Sophie also regularly gives talks on journalism and has done digital media consultancy work for a number of brands. I am really excited to chat to her today all about the moments that have shaped her life. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Sophie. Well, thanks so much for having me. Good. I'm so excited to chat to you. Um, How does it feel then being kind of like a new author? Totally surreal. (laughs) Completely surreal. I thought it would feel normal because 
obviously as a journalist, like your whole career is publishing stuff that people read. That's all I've sort of ever known. Um, but being, but doing a book is a completely different thing. Um, I'm sure lots of people will say to you, it feels, it feels much more vulnerable in a way. Like you've spent more time on it. There's more of you in it. Um, you know, in journalism, we're constantly being told, although, you know, lots of readers might not think this, like the journalist isn't meant to be the story. It's meant to be about, you know, the story and, and you kind of are just a vessel through which it flows. Yeah. So then when you're writing a book, all of a sudden it's actually no we want more of you in it and kind of that was quite a weird weird thing so it's very surreal but nice yeah I I bet how did it feel when you kind of first saw your book in a shop yeah completely completely (laughs) surreal and if you go into Waterstones and say that's my book I wrote that can I sign it no one stops you and no one says I thought they might say can I see your ID or can I just check that was you no, no so I'm going to be going into Piccadilly and just being like I'm JK Rowling that's yeah. my book the <laughs> um, oh, they were yeah idea. but very yeah very nice everyone's very uh been mostly very nice about it um it's been surreal but just like such a privilege to to get to do it it's you know lots of people dream about being an author don't they so to actually be able to do it is a privilege yeah yeah and as you say like writing a book is a lot more personal a lot more vulnerable do you feel like this was especially kind of um special for you because it was writing about a topic that is so important to you and what you've kind of been looking at the past couple of years yeah definitely um if it you know and it's something that it it means a lot to to me to get it right um, and that that's mostly to do justice by the people the, the people who share their experiences with you mm-hmm. um you know whenever I interview people about harassment or assault or or you know those sort of those experiences of violence a lot of it is me wanting to do justice by them because for people yeah. to uh, people to trust you with their story is a huge you know it, again like that's it, it's a huge honor for someone to say okay I think you're going to do right by me and yeah. so you want that makes you want to do it really well um so there's there's obviously that pressure and just feeling yourself that you you want to get across your message in an articulate way uh, that resonates with people that makes people who've experienced it feel seen and feel heard and also is compelling to people who maybe don't necessarily have that experience and sort of think wow that makes me think about that slightly differently um so yeah nothing you know nothing like putting a lot of pressure on yourself to do something well no definitely Um, and I think you're right you make a good point is that you know when you're doing this even though it's personal to you it's very much to help other people and to share mm. their stories and you know everything that you've done so far hasn't just kind of changed your lives it's changed the lives of so many others and that's what's so important and I wanted to ask what was the dream when you were younger did you kind of were you a bookworm did you always want to get into journalism what what did a young Sophie want to be she wanted to be a vet is what really she yeah. wow love well what I actually wanted to do was look after dogs, other okay. dogs. Then I realised as a vet, you sort of have to look after all of the animals. Yeah. wasn't so keen on the other animals. Um, and then also, I just wasn't very good at science. So there were quite a few holes in the plan. Yeah. But in a dream, you know, maybe if I had an alternative career, it would be to work at Battersea or something like that. Yeah. Um, but journalism, I actually came quite late to, to journalism. Um 
obviously not super late, but I was, I didn't study journalism at university. I didn't think that's what I wanted to do. To be honest with you, I, I didn't know anyone who was a journalist growing up. None of my family are journalists. Didn't have any family friends who were journalists. You know, lots of, I'm sure you'll hear this a lot, but, but the journalism world is quite small and people in it either had connections before they were in it or had some sort of like reason, you know, lots of people, their parents were journalists. And someone Um, once said to me that someone has to die before you get a job in journalism sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. And so to be honest with you, even if I had thought about it, I sort of immediately thought, well, that's not, that's really hard. I'm not that good. Who would want to listen to me sort of thing. So that was never my plan at all. Then I left university into that wonderful recession that we had at the end of the last decade um, and you know there were no jobs and every, free internships were the the thing of the moment I'm sure they still are to a degree but there was a particular boom period around then yeah. and um, I d- started working for a, a travel writing company on a unpaid internship which I'm pretty sure there was some some not entirely okay things going on in terms of you know employment stuff but anyway I decided actually I do really like writing um, and I, I I want to do more of this um, and then I moved abroad and I came back and I thought I'm, I'm really going to make a go of this but by that point I was about 25 26 which I know is not old but, no, but yeah but, you know in a in a career where lots of people you meet have known they've wanted to be journalists since they were at school I was probably about 15 years behind lots of people in that sense. So that was that was how I came into it. Um, yeah. And I think that, I'm, I'm quite glad of that though really now because I think it, it gave me a chance to do other jobs and to do other stuff and then eventually find it and come through it that way. Um, whereas I think if I'd always known, it would have been quite a different journey, I, I'm sure. Yeah. And also you found like an authentic passion for it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of found your love of writing along the way. Um, and I think it's great that you kind of took that bit of time because we never know really what we want to do at such a young age. And I think to get some experiences in lots of different things and then be like, okay, this is what I want to focus on can often be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I would agree that I, <laughs> I I find it fascinating when people say I've I've always known this is what I was going to do. I mean, I barely know what I want for dinner in yeah. like four hours' time, <laughs> like you know. And and when you're going off to university, and I I really vividly remember that pressure of thinking I have to make the right choices now because these choices impact everything. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's you know, there's part partly truth in that, but but also actually you know people can change and yeah things change and circumstances change and and learning to sort of roll with that rather than think no I've made my bed here I've got to lie in it these are the choices I made at 17 so I just have to go down this path now you know um yeah fully agree with you have you had any pinch me moments have you had any moments where you've been like I cannot believe I've just met this person or spoken to this person um throughout your career um so when I so when I was doing a lot of stuff around cyber flashing and um and they and the government were talking about changing the law which they now it seems like they might not but that's the story for another day I was spending a lot of time in Westminster going and meeting politicians and sort of you know trying to get an understanding of what was going on behind the scenes in terms of why this hadn't been legislated in England and Wales and why it had in Scotland and that sort of thing and at one on one occasion, I was invited to go to a, 
uh, they call it like a round table at the Supreme Court to discuss violence against women and walking into the Supreme Court, yeah. which is it's opposite um, the Palace of Westminster. So it's on on the green there. Yeah. Um, it's another one of those buildings that was utterly surreal. Yeah, um, it's sort of thinking... Especially as someone, as I say, who came quite late to journalism and yeah. and, and I didn't know anyone in journalism. I had no contacts, um, which is not something, you know, that you in a position you want to be as a journalist, contacts are sort of everything. And to have that moment of like, oh, well, I guess, guess maybe this, this means that like we're doing all right then, huh? Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, that was... That and do you good. take do you take the time to kind of like give yourself that gratitude sometimes? I no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. No. Well, this oh, is your I'm moment. Not, uh, this is your well done moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, not nearly enough. And I'm sure you know. And I think loads of people say that, don't they? It's always on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I've done that now. So the next thing, or um, or that feeling of imposter syndrome of like, okay, well, yeah, you have done it, but what if you've actually done it terribly? And, you know, I'm secretly just like three badgers in a trench coat and someone's going to find out that I'm not yeah. like a real person who actually knows what they're doing or whatever. It's so hard. I don't think it's a doing enough. I think sometimes I like to sit back and when I'm having a bad day, realize mm. that like I have achieved something. Like there are a few things I've achieved, but I think you're right. I think the moments that you think are going to be, when you're in the moment, it's very, very hard because it's just normal life. Like you are just walking into a building Mm -hmm. in in all senses. But I think we do need to be better at just sometimes when you're sat at home, having a cup of tea, just being like, I went to the Supreme Court once. Yeah. And I I think, you know, and having those, um, I think sometimes maybe, maybe it's a woman thing or a British thing, but it's, you don't want it to you know, there's meant to be humility there. And 100%, I think that often yeah. feels like it comes across like, well, now I'm bragging. I, I don't I don't do that nearly enough. And I think we probably all should do more of it. I'm sure in 40 years we'll look back and be proud of yeah. what we did now. But for now, no time for that. Yeah, gotta gotta keep going. Um, Well, before we talk about your sliding doors moments, um, I wanted to ask you, um, firstly, are you a fan of the film? And then secondly, um, what are kind of your thoughts around the sliding doors theory? Do you think everything happens for a reason? Is it fate? Is it timing, hard work? What what are your beliefs? So, as you know, (laughs) I love the film. Um, during those dark days of lockdown, it was one of those films we went back to again and again. It's just so comforting. It's so good. Um, it's, you know, lots of the, the, the like London scenery and the, is it 90s or early noughties? When it's was 90s. It? It's 90s. just late 90s, 98. Cardigans and the, you know, and the tube. And it's sort of, it's got the the kind of kitsch cuteness of like Notting Hill, but I think more interesting and so underrated that it makes you feel like you're kind of, you know, secret or whatever yes, yeah, I um and in terms of the theories you know what I I part of me feels like when I'm having a bad time and things pass me by job opportunities things that you want I probably revert to that well then it wasn't meant for you because mm-hmm. it's sort of a self-comforting thing isn't it yeah definitely um, but equally I work myself so, so hard that I'm like, I can't, I don't know if I do fully believe that everything that is meant for you will come to you. I'm like, no, you have to work really hard. So I don't, I don't really know. Although having said that, it, when I look back on the things that have passed me by that at the time I was really sad about, 
with hindsight, I'm always so, I say always, most of the time, the examples that spring to mind, I'm really glad that they did because something better happened instead or something that was... More meant um, for you. More meant, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's that maybe on paper that sounded more impressive, but actually this thing brought you more happiness or it brought you this or it brought you this. Um, I, my... um, my partner, who is very private, so I won't go into much detail, but the, we were we knew each other when we were kids, mm-hmm. um, like went to school together, grew up in the same town, and then went, you know, but didn't date or, or anything like that. Um, and then sort of both went our separate ways and then came back together. We met on an app. In, and that's the, like, that's oh, the most sliding doorsy yeah. type of like flip, 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 isn't it? Um, and now here we are like many, many years later. And I do often think, about the sort of you know all the stuff that we both did in those in between yeah. years and that sort of like you timing. know those, part, those parts the timing that brought you back together again right so in that sense yes I think I probably I do sort of believe in that um it can I find it yeah I find it really comforting to think okay you're a control freak and you're super organized and whatever but actually you also sort of are on this path that is not predetermined necessarily, but it's a lot of it is out of your hands. And so work hard, but also don't beat yourself up about feeling like you're missing stuff. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think, you know, there's the difference between it being like, this is your path and you're going to stick to it, as opposed to thinking, well, whatever happens to me, it's happening for a reason, good, bad. You know, there's, I think sometimes we talk a lot about the destination's always the same, but how the journey that you get there can be different. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love the story that you just said about your partner, because I think that, you know, we've had a lot of love stories on the podcast and a lot of the time people need that time away from each other and you'll either come back or you won't, but it is still, you, you can't not believe in it when those little things happen because it is it's just like the time that you did you go on the app at the right time and then he was on it and you were on it and I think that goes into all of your moments as well as is it's just timing but yeah I think we can't ever underestimate hard work I don't think things ever just happen to anyone I think that you know as you say the hard work comes along with the opportunities that are given to you yeah Um, is and, it, you know, people say oh, I'm really or people will say oh, I was just lucky and I think and don't they say lucky people are like 90% is 90% hard work and I think you do have to work really hard to get yourself into positions where then the sort of last bit of luck comes yeah. along like the opportunity you were there at the right moment for the opportunity because you put yourself there in that right moment um yeah yeah, I'm 100% with you. Very much agree with that theory. Um, so let's go on to talking about your moments then. So your mm. first moment is receiving a Twitter DM from a stranger telling me to apply for a job in 2015. It became mm-hmm. my first proper journalism job. So I'm very intrigued to find out more about this moment. So do you want to start off by explaining what were you doing in 2015 before you received the DM? Who sent it? What did it say? And what happened? Yeah, so this is, so to go back to my earlier point about not having any contacts in journalism, this is in that era. Yeah. I'd graduated from university. I had uh, moved to Brighton. I, uh, I I lived up north when I was at university and then I'd moved down to Brighton, been there for a bit, no idea what I was doing. Then I'd moved to America. I lived in America for a few years. Again, still didn't really know what I was doing in my career. Then I came back. And this is that period where I was trying to make a go of journalism, but also thinking this ain't this ain't gonna happen. Um, and in fact, it was around this time that a man, a friend of a friend, sort of said to me, "Oh, I tried that and it didn't work for me, so it's never going to work for you," which was nice. Oh, um, 
so so anyway, so I'm so I'm trying to make it work. I'm in one of these unpaid internship um things, or maybe this one was paid, but anyway, so an in, internship of some kind. And someone who followed me on Twitter and we we didn't know each other, you know, beforehand, but sort of, you know, you like each other's tweets or whatever. She sent me a message. She was employed at the company that I then went on to be employed by. And she sort of said, yeah. this job has come back, come up. And I've seen some of the stuff you've been writing, which is very generous. Because when she said it was just literally like news stories, like churning news yeah. stories. There wasn't anything to write home about. Um, and, you know, maybe you'd be really good. At, you know, maybe you'd be good at this job. This person did not know me from Adam. She didn't know me. She had no wow. reason to, to do that other yeah. than she's incredibly kind and continues to be very kind. Um, yeah. And um, so I went for it and applied. And we went for a coffee because we lived near each other in South London at that time, um, just beforehand. And she sort of said to me, oh, this is sort of what they're looking for, if that's of any help. Um, and again, completely just because she is so kind and um you know she owed me nothing at all yeah. I didn't, she didn't know me and so I applied for the job and and you know and I got the job um after many many interviews maybe four interviews oh, wow. um which is quite standard in journalism but it's wild um so I got this job and then that and that became my my first proper reporter job at a national in a national newsroom in London. Um, and as I say, I this goes back to what we were just saying, you know, like clearly I'd been working hard for the the period up to that, like, you know, doing these internships and publishing. So I had a blog and was publishing, you know, no one wanted to read my inner turmoil, but, you know, publishing that sort of stuff. Yeah. And someone had seen it and then taken a chance. So that is exactly what we were just saying, where it's like, right, okay, in the end, I was lucky that that person saw it and was kind enough to, you know, DM me. But you put yourself in that position by doing the hard work first. Yeah, you right? put it into the universe for it to be seen. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was, you know, and then obviously I had to go for the interviews and everything like everyone else. But I would never have applied for that job if she hadn't reached out to me because I would have looked at it and thought, there is no way that they will give that job to me. Uh, you know, I, no way I'm good enough for that. I don't know anyone. I don't even know what they'll ask me in an interview. I knew so little about journalism. I just thought I would never have even tried. Um, and it took a stranger to say, I think you should try. Yeah. And then it, and then it all worked out pretty nicely in the end. Um, but that was a real sliding doors moment yeah in if I hadn't opened the DM or I just thought that's weird I'm not going to reply I was going to say that like you know you may not have opened it you may not have read it you may just have been like who is this girl absolutely no and yeah I think, exactly and well, I think, she similarly might have also on the other side been like oh I should send that message oh actually maybe it's a bit weird I won't Exactly. And I think, again, that's all about kind of the stars aligning. And it's such a brilliant story for so many reasons. I think, you know, mentioning the kindness that you can like give to other people. I don't think we do that enough. You know, I try very hard to always be kind and give people random people opportunities if you see and she obviously saw something in you um and you know was like oh I may reach out she might just think I'm really weird but whatever. And I mean, how much did this job specifically impact you and your career? I mean, it changed everything. It took, so it so so it was at Huff Post, Huffington Post, um, formerly, and it took me from being, you know, just like interns and doing all these internships and sort of getting nowhere. No, no one was interested because you're at that stage of your career where nothing on your CV says I want to be a journalist because, yeah. as I formerly said, I wanted to be a vet and God knows what else. Yeah. Um, and 
it took me coming back to to give me a place to write, to give me editors who, you know, who who taught me and shaped my work and and giving me, you know, space to to develop. It it completely changed everything. And from there I went on to independent and then on and on and on and on. And I was there for quite a few years. And you know, that was where I did all the side flashing stuff as well towards the end of my time there. So it changed, it changed everything. And yeah. it's it, you know, and I think if I was listening to me talk about this, wanting to break into journalism, I might think, well, that's such an annoying story because I can't do that. Or like, that's just good luck. And you just got lucky. And yeah, I, I did in a way. But also, I completely maintain that if you work hard, and that if you have good ideas, there is there is a lot more space in this industry than it's made out to be like yes there are a lot of people who get opportunities because of who they are and who they know but there's also re- a lot of really smart hard-working people who are here completely off their own graft um definitely and there's freedom these days to as you say write just write to write who knows who's going to see it and you never know one day and as you say you can't if you're not out there how's anyone kind of going to see that and I think this is what I love about this story as well is is that it's really amazing when you can really pinpoint not your whole career but that pinpoint that one moment yeah. where where kind of things just started and as you say it it was luck but it was also timing and hard work and I guess have you ever thought about what happens if you you know if you'd never got the message if you hadn't seen it how different do you think life would have been for you that's a, no I hadn't I hadn't actually thought about that but yeah I mean I don't I don't maybe maybe in the end I would have got to a similar place but I don't it I think it would have changed everything you know that entire course of 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 time because I I think it would have taken a lot longer to 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 kind of move up it particularly because the reason I wasn't applying for stuff is because I felt so underqualified and um useless uh, for want of a better word and and so yeah I think if she hadn't sent that it would have been a long long time before I'd built up the courage myself to think maybe I could do that job um yeah I mean when I was leaving um in my leaving speech she still worked there when I left in my leaving speech I sort of said to you know to everyone for anyone who doesn't know this is sort of how I ended up here um and got very emotional about it because I think that what kindness like she didn't yeah. use at all um and it yeah and it, it really changed things for me and so I wherever possible I try to sort of be you know do that for younger journalists as well because it's no you know it's no skin off my nose to send yes. someone a dm or to whatever but but for someone else that can be everything can it Definitely. And I think that's such a great message for people, anyone. If you ever see anything that you like or ever tell people, even just tell people that you've enjoyed reading it. Yeah. Even if you can't give them the opportunity, like they just might need that boost to then go and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, brilliant, brilliant sliding doors moment. Um, <laughs> and then your second one is a lot more around kind of what we started talking about around your book. So it's actually being mm-hmm. cyber flashed on the London Underground in 2017. So this is a really big sliding doors moment for you as I think it was a trigger that kind of started the whole journey that you're on now. And it actually happened to me on the tube once. Yeah. And I didn't even realize it was a thing until I kind of started reading up about everything that you were doing and I'll never forget it. So I kind of wanted to start by saying, explain what happened to you and explain how this was such a kind of, you know, pinnacle moment for you. Yeah. Oh, I'm really, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, 
it's so much more common than is you know is is spoken about is known about um and I think lots of people I don't I mean I don't know how you feel about it uh, lots of people sort of say oh it's just a little thing or it's just and yeah, yeah. I mean it, it is just a little thing but actually it is symptomatic of everything right it's set it speaks volumes about everything 100% um oh I'm sorry to hear that so yeah so I was I don't know when yours happened but it was mine was 2017 I think it was a summer although now my memory is more hazy um I think it was around this time of year actually I was traveling home from the job we've just been discussing on the Victoria line got on sat down really busy as per usual um and I had my phone in my palm rather than in my bag and it just started vibrating and I looked down and it was just 120 very very graphic images um and even though I declined them because of the way airdrop works or you still see them you still see them Mm -hmm. because of the way airdrop worked at that time um I still saw them and I was really angry and I was embarrassed really busy train worried that someone might think that I was just casually browsing you know those pictures on my phone um and it also it was the same week that I'd been at the gym and a guy had come up to me while I was using machine and said he said something like you're being really slow can I just take over or something which again what I know lots of men would be like what's the big deal oh my god everywhere women go in public you will not just leave us the hell alone just go just just do your own you know, thing do your own thing go away <laughs> and so I was already quite angry about that because it because you know, to go into a space like a gym that could be quite male-dominated anyway, it already felt a bit like, oh, I feel a bit nervous being in here because I feel silly, because I don't really know what I'm doing, because I'm yeah. whatever. And so that really shook me. And I thought, oh, just leave me alone. Like, you know, why do you feel entitled to come over and say those things? Now I'm on the tube. Why do you feel entitled to send me pictures of your genitals when I'm just trying to go home from work? So it sort of fed into like an overall rage about women feeling very secondary in public spaces, feeling always a bit like you're waiting for something to happen for some incursion on your space um and my editor at the time just sort of uh, I tweeted about it of course okay Um, and and my editor said oh I've not heard of this you should write about it and therein sort of lies what has happened for the subsequent five years you know then did sort of reporting on it speaking to women like yourself you know it was nearly 100 women by the end by the time I left um and trying to work out why there was legislation in Scotland. So in Scotland, it's been legal for about 10 years, but not here in England and Wales. Um, and it, it all just sort of spiralled into something bigger. And again, that is a sort of a sliding doors moment of what what followed or what led up to it was a lot of hard work. But actually, without that sort of one catalyst there, you know, I probably would have written about this topic, not cyber flashing, but violence and so more yeah. generally because I'm very interested in it but it wouldn't have had quite the same, um, uh, you know, that sort of ground zero moment of like everything kind of came out from from there. Um, and it's and- a shame because it's quite, it's a negative moment that actually led into, well, not a positive, but a positive outcome in the sense of how much you've been able to open up about it. Other people have, you've been able to help mm-hmm. other people. And that's where it kind of becomes quite hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and I mean, I think, you know, there's no part of me that's like, God, I'm really glad that happened because it's yeah. horrible. And it made me feel quite unsafe, uh, you know, in my city. And I, that was horrible. Oh, yeah. But I am glad that with the help of many other women and some men, we've 
been able to sort of you know there's been traction from it that is incredibly satisfying to feel like I'm not going to I don't want to be defined by what he did that man did but okay well then we're going to make this our narrative instead and we're going to you know create change hopefully maybe raise awareness um and yeah so while I don't sort of celebrate what happened by any means um it did give a moment of uh, heightened emotion to spurn on lots of work afterwards um you know and I think a lot of journalism sort of starts off that way people experiencing things that um you know forces introspection reflection investigation all those sorts of things um and as you say I think it was a topic that you were already kind of like investigating and interested yeah. in but I think what this it sounds like you're someone that you know when you something happens to you or takes thing you can like run with it and take it and be like I'm like did you feel like afterwards like the anger or the upset that you felt kind of you really drove into then the investigation of the story I think so yeah definitely well you know initially it was my anger at what had happened to me yeah and then subsequently it became my anger on the behalf of all of these other victims so you know while initially it was sort of fed off of my own rage about myself it very quickly became actually this is you know so widespread you've just said yourself it's happened to you you know it's so widespread and I think that then was more of the fuel and you know with with so much of what we do as journalism like so much of what fuels that like we have to get answers we have to hold people accountable is as I said earlier on people trust you with their stories often stories they've not told anyone else Mm -hmm. and then you feel like you have to carry that forward for them and get change and get answers and that was what then motivated me to do it for a much longer period of time um is whenever you get um someone coming forward and saying oh yeah this happened and it quite upset me but I just thought it was a weird thing and then I saw that you'd been writing about it and it made me feel like oh Oh, okay. I, was okay to, yeah. I was okay to be upset by that because that is a yeah. thing that people feel upset by. And that is very, um, you know, and that, that's a good motivation as well to feel like, okay, well then writing about this, you're just not writing into a void. You're writing for people who it makes a difference. Yeah, 100%. And where is the campaign at now? So like in terms of what you've managed to do, or is that a very hard question to answer? <laughs> no, it's not, not a hard question to ask, more of an annoying question. Um, not an annoying question, annoying situation, annoying, yeah. sorry. A few months ago, the government, with its online safety bill, which has been rehashed and renamed a thousand times over, they sort of said, this is going to happen. Cyber flashing will be included in it. Uh, it was sort of, it felt like a done deal in lots of ways. It was on the agenda. They had it in the bill. You know, all the language was sorted and all the rest of it. And then with everything else that's happening, you know, <laughs> the government's obviously been twiddling yes. at <laughs> busy with other things, um, you know, then it basically they they say we just ran out of parliamentary time to debate it and everything before summer we've shelved it till autumn but I'm a bit I don't know new leadership things changing yeah uh different priorities um I sort of feel a bit like it, it as with lots of these things political change requires political momentum and appetite and mm-hmm if it was going to happen I think maybe that was the moment and now it's not going to happen especially because it's so the cyber flashing provision has been bundled into this larger online safety bill and the online safety bill there's it's just huge it's It's, so big yeah it's huge and so I think you know there's there will be 
rightly, lots of debate and back and forth about different provisions in it, about what it means for like freedom of speech and all that. And so actually, I think it being lumped in with that means that it it probably will just get held up with everything else. What advice would you give then if someone has kind of had this happen to them? Um, Let's say someone like me, who kind of hasn't you know thought of anything but then actually when they think about it wants to kind of talk to someone or report it like what what can people do now if it happens to them yeah so because it's not illegal um there aren't loads of recourses to things but the british transport police if it so if it happens on public transport rather than in another environment the british transport police are really good they do want to take reports they genuinely you know they're doing a lot of work and they've got all the poster campaigns now up which is huge because five years ago everyone was just like it's not a thing you're making it up sort of thing oh I've seen it even my friends we're like because the one that says like staring and we're like sometimes you just stare at someone by accident and like I'm really scared (laughs) now they're gonna get but no they're they're really they're really impactful yeah they are and I you know and there's also some EE ones is in like the phone network that are down there at the moment um, with some male footballers on that say something like she's not the one sending death threats or something like yeah. that but it turns the narrative on its head and says this isn't about women it's about men yeah. you know men's violence and that, that was a huge change to even five years ago so mm-hmm. that's really exciting but in terms of what people can do BTP if it was on transport there's probably you know, they'll probably just sort of take it down and keep a record of it. But even that is good because we build a picture that says exactly. this is yeah. widespread. It's not just like one person. It happens to you one time. Um, so that's one thing, um, you know, and if you feel able to, like you want to talk about it, raise awareness, because I think these are the sorts of, I know we sort of talk about them as like microaggression, you know, these like smaller things that women face every day, but it's not. It builds into a huge overall picture of women feeling mostly women this I keep saying women because it is it's mostly a gendered crime against women um you know women feeling pushed out of public spaces unsafe in public spaces it all builds up that pyramid of harm um you know and and so if you do feel like you can talk about it and raise awareness so that other people feel like oh that wasn't I wasn't just me I didn't do something wrong that brought it on myself actually this is a widespread problem then that helps as well yeah oh that's so good to know and obviously it's horrible what happened to you and everybody else but I think everything that you're doing to kind of bring this issue to the forefront is amazing and you've probably already helped so many people so I'm hoping that things just continue to kind of get better um Onto your last moment is um, quitting my job at the end of 2021 mm-hmm. and subsequently getting a book deal. I would never have been able to take this opportunity if I hadn't have quit. So um, let's start with saying what made you quit your job um, and how was this a, such a sliding doors moment for you? Yeah, so this is, um, so to continue the theme of uh, electric communi- electronic yeah. communication being uh-huh. all of my sliding doors moments. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Literally, um, I had been quite unhappy in a job for, for quite a long time. But as we've spoken about, you know, you're working really hard. There's a sense of like, maybe I'm actually just terrible. And so it's my fault that I'm unhappy, you know, all these things. Um, and also the pandemic, it didn't yeah. feel like a great time to be making big moves, um, you know, when even though I was quite desperately unhappy. So and had worked really hard to get into these jobs as we've discussed. And so you feel like, I don't want to just give up on everything. Yeah. But it was sort of reaching breaking point. I was, you know, not good. And um, I had sort of thought 
that the way that people find the courage to leave jobs and make take those risks and go for I was going to become self-employed was the idea um I always thought the way that people find the the courage to take those leaps off basically what is you know a cliff of uncertainty must be some kind of lightning bolt moment where you all of a sudden become brave and you become courageous and you just know you really know it's the right thing and I just don't think that's how it works at all it's just like Mm -hmm. little by little those grains and grains of feeling really unhappy and feeling a little bit braver or just a little bit more like screw it I'm gonna go or there's like Um, there's no other way out than just yeah Yeah. and you just kind of get that tipping point of like Mm -hmm. a grain of sand is just going to push it rather than this huge moment of realization and it was an email and I'm not going to talk about the details of it um particularly but it was an email that was it wasn't rude or anything it was just about sort of the next six months and what they were going to look like in terms of a strategy and I just read it and I just thought I think this is rubbish I don't want to do this. I don't agree with it. I think it's bad. I think they're making bad choices. And so I just thought, all right, well, that's that then. I'm going to go. And it was so weird. It was so weird. Was it very calming? It sounds like it was. Yeah. (laughs) I think I thought that I would, you know, people always talk about quitting jobs they don't like. Like you storm into your boss's office. (laughs) I know you really want it to be that. I'm gone. (laughs) And it, but it wasn't, it was, and maybe that's, maybe that's good, you know, but it wasn't, it was just that moment of like, I've within myself, I feel at peace with this decision. Mm -hmm. I feel really at peace with it. And this email, you know, wasn't rude. The person who sent it was a nice person. It was just actually, you know what, this for me is my tipping point. Yeah, It was was a personal thing for you. Yeah, it was. And someone else would read it and be like, what's the problem? Yeah. (laughs) and um, and so that again was a real sliding doors moment of like right okay well I'm going to leave this job this stable income for unstable income and uncertainty. Okay, seems like an interesting <laughs> choice. All right then, and I did, and you know, and again like quite a you know quite a risky thing to do. Or I, I think I didn't think it was that risky. I was like oh it's fine. And then afterwards, you know, at my leaving party, people would say oh you're very brave oh, and kind of look at you with like those like eyes of like yeah and then you think oh god brave oh no that's not good everyone else must be seeing something I'm not um uh-oh but it was too late so yeah but it is it's brave in a way because you're doing something that most people wouldn't have the courage to do because they think it's not the right thing to do but it is yeah I mean in the end it's you know it did turn out to be a good thing so um so yeah, so I so I left that job uh, with my calm, you know, my newly found calmness, and uh, left. And three weeks later, again, this makes me sound like the jammiest person ever. And I promise you, my life just isn't really like. It was just <laughs> no, but this is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, a publisher emailed me and said, "I've seen all your work on violence against women. I have been wanting to write." this book for a really long time and it was the book that we've you know that now how men can help that was published uh, a couple of weeks ago and he said would you be up for it at first I thought it was some kind of scam My I was gonna say like what was were you like, like? <laughs> he was like no this there's a scene in Peep Show I don't know if you've ever watched Peep Show where he gets um published he gets his like business secrets of the pharaohs published by a fake publishing company and my partner kept saying are you sure it's not a bit like that <laughs> Yeah, because it's too good to be true. Sometimes you feel like it is. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, it wasn't, you know, it was legit. I did get paid real money um, and it happened. And that is to say, but, you know, if that opportunity had come up a few months later, earlier, I, I just wouldn't have been able to take it because I was, I, you know, I was, I was in a full-time job and I wouldn't have been able to do this as well. And so that, but I didn't know that was going to come when I, yeah. when I when I jumped off that cliff. Um, and so that moment of thinking, huh, if I hadn't done that, I would never have been able to take this with both hands and say, yes, please, I really do want to do that. And that, again, some people might just think, she sounds like a, you know, very jammy and good for you. But actually, I do think, as you said earlier on, when you put out in the universe, it does, you know, often sort of come back in ways that you never I would never have expected that was going to happen ever yeah. ever um lots of journalists want to become authors I sort of had never thought that I was again there's a theme here I had never thought I would was good enough for that like I've just about got into journalism by the skin of my teeth let's hope no one notices I'm actually terrible yeah let's not push the boundaries of what we're trying to do here by being an author as well and then that opportunity came up and because I'd walked away from things that weren't so serving me I was able to take something that would. And so you're in that sort of limbo period of peril where you've got neither and you're thinking, oh Lord, what am I doing with myself now? And then, you know, and then things sort of come down the track and that was, it felt very affirming. Like you made a decision for your happiness and this is sort of where you go. I was going to say like, because I know you said you didn't have a light bulb moment when you handed your notice in, but it's almost kind of like when you have a breakup and you wait after the breakup to be like, yeah. this is the reason why we broke up. Now I understand it. Was this, did you ever kind of take that thing and be like, oh, I get it now. This is why I was meant to leave this job and this is what's going on. Did you feel that? Yeah, 100%, 100%. But when I was thinking about, you know, well, I was about to say everyone does, but maybe they don't. I was doing my pros and cons list. Should I quit? Should I quit? Yeah, yeah, get the yeah. pros and cons down there. And they were sort of evenly matched. You know, obviously one column you do with more enthusiasm than the other column, but yeah. um, it they were sort of evenly matched. And so there was no point at which I thought, this is a brilliant idea. I'm definitely going to pull this off and not regret this. It was only once I'd gone and once mm-hmm. I'd thrown myself off the cliff and realised actually it was quite a soft landing down here and there are nice things down here that are making me happy. But I couldn't see them from the top. Yeah, or it's, a, it's a very good way to put it, actually, because I don't you, you never can. You're taking a risk, but you're also having belief that things will work out. And I guess looking at kind of now you've written the book and like your future, how has that kind of that one decision changed everything for you? So how has writing the book changed things and how do you think it's going to impact kind of the future decisions that you make now? I I mean, come back to me in five years and maybe I'll <laughs> eat my hat on this one. But I really hope that I I don't make I, I want to be the person who makes decisions out of what do they call they call it like scarcity mentality and like yeah. bountiful mentality, right? That thing of not making decisions out of fear and concerns about what might not be, you know, concerns, making decisions out of like there will be opportunity. And that's a very privileged thing to obviously think, isn't it? Sitting here as the white middle class woman. But like I do I do think I want to sort of make decisions in the belief that everything will be all right in the end and so if you're taking a bit of a risk now things might not always be perfect but eventually you'll get to where you're meant to going rather than thinking 
I have to stay here because what if every, you know, what if everything in the outside world is more scary or I have to not do that because I don't know all the potential ways it might screw up. Um, and just, just trying to make things, you know, not make decisions out of fear, make them out of love and like love for yourself and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and trying to improve your happiness rather than thinking I'm asking for too much to not be miserable sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I definitely think if we sat down in five years, you'd be smashing that because I feel like you already (laughs) are more than you think you are. But this is a brilliant moment because I really do think that, as you say, a lot of people, we, we get scared to take risks and do things that we know ultimately will make us happy, but aren't the safe option. And actually, I love that you got the book offer like you know after that it kind of just affirmed to you that you made the right decision and it will probably like change everything now for you moving forward of pushing you into realms that you never thought you could um so yeah thank you so much Sophie it's been amazing to chat to you um you do such amazing work for everything that you do so I really hope that fingers crossed that everything does get passed and pushed forward and changed um and thank you just for sharing all your moments with us today Oh, thank you so much for having me and being such a generous uh, host. It's been really lovely talking to you. Oh, thank you so much, Sophie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.